Chapter Three of Bunker Bean by Harry Leon Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The courts having decided, continued Breed, in staccato explosions, that the equipment is necessary part road, without which road would be totally crippled, you will note these first mortgage equipment bonds take priority over first mortgage bonds and govern yourself accordingly. Yours very truly. He glanced up at Bean contracted his brows to a black menace, and emitted a final detonation. It's all for afternoon. He bit savagely into his unlighted cigar, and began to rifle through a new sheaf of documents. Bean deftly effaced himself, with a parting glare at the unlighted cigar. It was a feature of breed that no reporter ever neglected to mention, but Bean thought you might as well chew tobacco and be done with it. Moreover, the cigars were not such as one would have expected to find between the lips of a man whose present wealth was estimated at a round hundred million. Bulger, in the outer office, had given up trying to smoke them. He declared them to be the very worst that could be had for any money. Before beginning the transcription of his notes, Bean had to learn the latest telephone news from the ball ground. During the last half-hour he had inwardly raged more than usual at Breed for being kept from this information. Bulger always managed to get it on time, beginning with the third inning, even when he took dictation from Breed's confidential secretary or from Tully, the chief clerk. Bean looked inquiringly at Bulger now. Bulger nodded and presently strolled from his own desk to Bean's, where he left a slip of paper bearing the words, Cubs three, Giants two, first half fourth bean had envied bulger from the first for this man of the world ease in actual person not superior to bean he had a temperament of daring in every detail he was an advanced dresser specializing in flamboyant cravats he would have been bean's model if bean had been less a coward bulger was nearly all that bean wished to be he condescended to his tasks with an air of elegant and detached leisure that raised them to the dignity of sports. He had quite the air of a wealthy amateur with a passion for typewriting. He had once done Breed's personal work, but had been banished to the outer office after Bean's first tryout. Breed had found some mysterious objection to him. Perhaps it was because Bulger would always look up with pleased sagacity as if he were helping to compose breed's letters it may have been simple envy in breed for his advanced addressing bulger had felt no unkindness toward bean for thus supplanting him in a desirable post but he did confide to his successor that if he bulger ever found breed under his heel breed could expect no mercy bulger would grind him just like that bean dramatized this as he wrote his letters Breed pleasantly disintegrating under the iron heel of Bulger. Breed, the great reorganizer, as he was said to be known, in the street, old steel and velvet, meeting a just fate. So nearly mechanical was his typewriting that he spoiled one sheet of paper by transcribing two lines of shorthand not meant to be <clears throat> a part of the letter. Only by chance did a certain traffic manager of lines west of Chicago escape reading a briefly worded opinion of the clothes he wore that would have puzzled and might have pained him for breed such had come to be his confidence in bean always signed his letters without reading them over 
Bean gasped and wisely dismissed the drama of Bulger's revenge from his mind. At 4.30 the day's work ended and Bean was free to forget until another day the little he had been unable to avoid learning about high railroad finance free to lead his own secret life which was a thing apart from all that wordy foolery he changed from his office coat to one alleged by its maker to give him the appearance of perfect physical development and descended to the street level in company with bulger bean would have preferred to walk down he suffered the sensations of dying each time the elevator seemed to fall but he could not confess this to the doggish and intrepid bulger there were other weaknesses he had to cloak bulger proffered cigarettes from a silver case at their first meeting bean declined doctor's orders said he nerves suggested bulger expertly heart gets me something fierce come in here to tommy's and take a bracer now suggested the hospitable bulger but again the physician had been obdurate won't let me touch a thing liver said bean got to be careful of a breakdown tough said bulger man needs a certain amount of it down here in the street course a guy can't sop it up like you see some do other night now gang of us out you understand come too fast for your uncle cuthbert say going up those stairs where i live i certainly must have sounded like a well-known clubman getting home from an elks banquet head next a m ask me ask me nothing of the kind don't i show up with a toothache and con old tully into a day off at the dentist to have the bridge work tooled up ask me was i at the dentist wow not little old william j turkish bath for mine bean was moved to raw envy but he knew himself too well the specialist he professed to have consulted had put a ban upon the simplest recreations otherwise how could he with any grace have declined those repeated invitations of bulger's to come along and meet a couple of swell dames that'd like to have a good time bulger considered in relation to the sex not his own was what he himself would have termed a smooth little piece of work bean was not this of all his terrors women as objects of purely male attention were the greatest he longed for them he looked upon such as were desirable with what he believed to be an evil eye but he had learned not to go too close they talked they disconcerted him horribly and if they didn't talk they looked dangerous as if they knew too much some day of course he would nerve himself to it indeed he very determinedly meant to marry and to have a son who should be trained from the cradle with the sole idea of making him a great left-handed pitcher but that was far in the future he longed tragically to go with bulger and meet a couple of swell dames but he knew how it would be right off they would find him out and laugh at him bulger consumed another highball filled his cigarette case and the two stood a moment on broadway Breed, the last to leave his office, crossed the pavement to a waiting automobile. "'There's his foxy rebates going to the arms of his family,' said Bulger, disrespectfully applying to Breed a term that had more than once made him interesting to the Interstate Commerce Commission. "'See the three skirts in the back? That's the missus and the two squabs. Young one's only a flapper, but the old one's a peacherine for looks. Go on, lamper once.' Bean turned his diffident gaze upon the occupants of the tonneau with a sudden wild dream 
that he would stare insolently but his eyes unaccountably came to rest in the eyes of the young one the flapper he saw only the eyes and he felt that the eyes were seeing him the motor chugged slowly up broadway nosing for a path about a slowly driven truck the flapper looked back not half bad that said bean recovering and speaking in what he felt was the correct bulger tone not for mine said bulger firmly big sister though not so worse met up with her one time out to the country place taking stuff for the old man the time he got kidneys in his feet i made a hit with her too on the level but say nothing doing there for old john w me i dropped the thing like it was poison ivy me doing the nuptial in a family like that and being under pop's thumb the rest of my life ask me that's all ask me wake me up any time in the night and ask me again bean was thrilled resolving then and there that no daughter of breeds should ever wed him bulger was entirely right it wouldn't do bulger looked at his watch well so long got a date down the next block she's out at five say i want you to get a flash at her some day broadway car yesterday me going uptown with max see she looking at her gloves pipe the queen and back i says to max just so she could hear you understand say did she give me the eye not at all not at all old william h smoothie i guess yes pretty soon a gink settin beside her beats it in quick change for me had her all dated up by fourteenth street dinner and a show things look well some class to her all right won the manicures in that shop down there well so long looking over his shoulder with sickish envy after the invincible bulger bean left the curb for a passing car and came to a jolting stop against the biggest policeman he had ever seen he mumbled a horrified apology but his victim did not even turn to look down upon him he fled into the car and found a seat still trembling from that collision from across the aisle a pretty girl surveyed him with veiled insolence he furtively felt of his neutral tinted cravat and took his hat off to see if there could be a dent in it the girl having plumbed his insignificance now unconcernedly read the signs above his head there was bitterness in the stare he bestowed upon her trim lines some day bulger would chance to be on that car with her then she'd be taken down a bit bulger who by fourteenth street had them all dated up presently he was embarrassed by a stout aggressive man who clutched a strap with one hand and some evening papers with the other a man who clearly considered it outrageous that he should be compelled to stand in a street car he glared at bean with a cold questioning indignation shifting from one foot to the other and seeming to be on the point of having words about it this was not long to be endured bean glanced out in feigned dismay as if at a desired cross street he had carelessly passed sprang toward the door of the car and caromed heavily against a tired workingman who still however was not too tired to put his sense of injury into quick pithy words of the street the pretty girl tittered horribly and the stout man already in bean's seat rattled his papers impatiently implying that people in that state ought to be kept off in the first place he had meant to leave the car and try another but there at the step was another too large policeman helping an uncertain old lady to the ground so he slinkingly insinuated himself to the far corner of the platform where for forty city blocks a whistling messenger boy gored his right side with the corners of an unyielding box while a dreamy-eyed man who as bulger would have said 
had apparently been sopping it up like you see some do leaned a friendly elbow on his shoulder dented his new hat and from time to time stepped elaborately on his natty shoes with the blue cloth uppers also the conductor demanded and received a second fare from him what was the use of saying you had paid inside the conductor was a desperate-looking man who would probably say he knew that game and stop the car something of the sort always happened to him in street cars it was bad enough when you walked with people jostling you and looking as if they wondered what right you had to be there at last came the street down which he made a daily pilgrimage and popped from the crowd on the platform like a seed squeezed from an orange reaching the curb alive the crossing policeman graciously halted a huge motor truck driven by a speed enthusiast he corrected the latest dent in his hat straightened his cravat readjusted the shoulder lines of the coat appertaining to america's greatest eighteen dollar suit eighteen dollars no more no less and with a fear quickened hand discovered that his watch was gone his gold hunting case watch and horseshoe fob set with brilliance that aunt clara had given him on his twenty-first birthday for not smoking a moment he stood raging fearing his money was safe but they might decide to come back for that or the policeman might come up and make an ugly row because he had let himself be robbed in a public conveyance he would have to prove that the watch was his probably have to tell why aunt clara had given it to him with a philosophy peculiarly his own a spirit of wise submission that was more than once to serve him well he pulled his hat sharply down braced and squared such appearance of personal physical development as the eighteen dollars had achieved and walked away he had always known the watch would go now it was gone no more worry good enough as he walked he rehearsed an explanation to bulger cleverly worded intimations that the watch had been pawned to meet a certain quick demand on his resources not morally to his credit he made the implication as sinister as he could and then he stood once more before the shrine of beauty in the show window of a bird and animal store on sixth avenue was a four months old puppy a boston bull that was of a certainty the most perfect thing ever born of a mother dog already the head was enormous in contrast yet somehow in a maddening harmony with the clean-lined slender body the color scheme was golden brown on a background of pure white on the body this golden brown was distributed with that apparent carelessness which is art overlaying the sides and back were three patches of it about the size and somewhat the shape of maps of africa as such are commonly to be observed in the coloring of the noble brow and absurdly wide jaws a more tender care was evident there was the same golden brown beginning well back of the ears and flowing lustrously to the edge of the overhanging upper lip where it darkened midway between the ears erectly alert those ears were a narrow strip of white descended a little way to open to a circle of white in the midst of which was the black muzzle at the point of each nostril was the tiniest speck of pink beauty's last triumphant touch as he came to rest before the window the creature leaped forward with joyous madness reared two clumsy white feet against the glass those feet that seemed to have been meant for a larger dog barked ably he could hear it even above the din of an elevated train and then fell to a frantic licking of the glass where bean had provocatively spread a hand 
perceiving this intimacy to be thwarted by some mysterious barrier to be felt but not seen he backed away fell forward upon his chest the two big paws outspread and smiled from a vasty pink cavern between the stiffened ears could be seen the crooked tail tinged with just enough of the brown in unbelievably swift motion discovering this pose to bring no desired result he ran mad in the sawdust excavating it feverishly with his forepaws sending it expertly to the rear with the others the fever passed he surveyed his admirer for a moment then began to revolve slowly upon all four feet until he made in the sawdust a bed that suited him into this he sank and was instantly asleep his slenderness coiled the heavy head at rest on a paw one ear drooping wearily the other still erect. For two weeks this daily visit had been almost the best of Bean's secrets. For two weeks he had known that his passion was hopeless, yet had he yearned out his heart there before the endearing thing. In the shock of his first discovery, spurred to unwanted daring, he had actually penetrated the store meaning to hear the impossible price. But an angry-looking old man, so Bean thought, had come noisily from a back room and glowered at him threateningly over big spectacles so he had hastily priced a convenient jar of goldfish for which he felt no affection whatever mumbled something about the party's calling himself next day and escaped to the street anyway it would have been no good asking the price it was bound to be a high price he couldn't keep a dog and if he did a policeman would shoot it for being mad when it was only playing but sometime yet would it be the same animal? In all the world there could not be another so acceptable. He shivered with apprehension each day as he neared the place, lest some connoisseur had forestalled him. He quickened to a jealous distrust of any passer-by who halted beside him to look into the window, and felt a great relief when these passed on. Once he had feared the worst. A man beside him holding a candy-eating child by the hand had said, "'Now, now, sir!' and well well was he a nice old doggy then they had gone into the store very businesslike and bean had felt that he might be taking his last look at a loved one lawless designs throbbed in his brain a wild plan to shatter the man to his home to have that dog no matter how but when they came out the child carried nothing more than a wicker cage containing two pink-eyed rabbits that were wrinkling their noses furiously with a last cherishing look at most of the beauty in all the world it still slept despite the tearing clatter of a parrot with catarrhal utterance that shrieked over and over oh what a fool oh what a fool he turned away what need to say that with half the opportunity his early infamy of the shell would have been repeated he wondered darkly if the old man left that dog in the window nights he reached for his watch before he remembered its loss then he reminded himself bitterly that street clocks were abundant and might be looked at by simpletons who couldn't keep watches he bought an evening paper that shrieked with hydrocephalic headlines and turned into a dingy little restaurant advertising a regular dinner deluxe with dessert thirty-five cents there was gloom rather than gusto in his approach to the table he expected little everything had gone wrong he was not surprised to note that the cloth on the table must also have served that day for a businessman's lunch thirty-five cents as advertised on a wall placard several businessmen seemed to have eaten there careless men their minds perhaps on business while they ate a moody waiter took his order 
feebly affecting to efface all stains from the tablecloth by one magic sweep of an already abused napkin bean read his paper one shriek among the headlines was for a railroad accident in which twenty-eight lives had been lost he began to go down the list of names hopefully but there was not one that he knew although he wished no evil to any person he was yet never able to suppress a strange perverse thrill of disappointment at this result that there should be the name of no one he knew in all those lists of the mangled his food came and he ate still striving the game of childhood had become unconscious habit with him now to make his meat and potatoes come out even the dinner deluxe was too palpably a soggy residue of that businessman's lunch it fittingly crowned the afternoon's catastrophes he turned from it to his paper and destiny tied another knot on his bonds there it was in bold print countess casanova clairvoyant clairaudient psychometric fresh from unparalleled european triumphs answers the unasked question there was more of it the countess had been prevailed upon by eminent scientists to give a brief series of tests in this city evening tests might be had from eight to ten p m ring third bell the old query came back the old need to know what he had been before putting on this present casual body was his present state a reward or a penance from the time of leaving the office to the last item in that sketchy dinner he had been put upon by persons and circumstances it was time to know what life meant by him and here was one who answered the unasked question precisely at eight he rang the third bell climbed two flights of narrow stairs and faced a door that opened noiselessly and without visible agency he entered a small dimly lighted room and stood there uncertainly after a moment two heavy curtains parted at the rear of the room and the countess casanova stood before him it could have been no other her lustrous heavy-lidded dark eyes swept him soothingly her hair was a marvelously piled storm-cloud above a full well-rounded face her complexion was wonderful one very plump very white hand rested at the neck of the flowing scarlet robe she wore a moment she posed thus beyond doubt a being capable of expounding all wingy mysteries of any soul whatsoever then she became alert and voluble she took his hat and placed it in the hall seated him before the table at the room's centre and sat confronting him from the other side she filled the chair it could be seen that she was no slave to tight lacing although foreign in appearance the countess spoke with a singularly pure and homelike american accent it was the speech he was accustomed to hear in chicago it reassured him the countess searched his face with those wonderful eyes you are intensely psychic she announced bean was aware of this every medium he had ever consulted had told him so the countess gazed dreamily above his head your spiritual aura is clouded by troubled currents as it were i see you meeting a great loss but you must take heart for a very powerful hand on the other side is guarding you night and day they tell me your initials is b b you are employed somewheres in the daytime i see a big place with lots of other people employed there the countess paused bean waited in silence here 
She came out of the clouds that menaced her sitter. Take this pad and write a question on it. Don't let me see it, mind. When you got it all wrote out, fold it up tight and hold it against your forehead. Never let go of it. Not once. Bean wrote secretly, well below the table's edge. Who was I in my last incarnation? He tore the small sheet from the pad, folded it tightly, and, with elbows on the table, pressed it to his brow. If the countess answered that question, then indeed she was a seer. She took up the pad from which he had torn the sheet. Concentrate, she admonished him. Let the whole current of your magnetism flow into that question. Excuse me, I left the slate in the next room. My control will answer you on the slate. She withdrew between the curtains, but reappeared very soon. Bean was concentrating. That'll do, said the countess. Here, she presented him with a double slate and a moist sponge. Wipe it clean. He washed the surfaces of the slate, and the seer placed it upon the table between them, enclosing within its two sections a tiny fragment of slate pencil. She placed her hands upon the slate and bade her sitter to do likewise. You often hear skeptics say they is sometimes trickery in this, said the countess. But say, listen now, how could it be? I leave it to you, friend. I ain't seen your question. You held it a minute and then put it in your pocket. And you seen the slate was clean. Now concentrate. Go into silence. Bean went into the silence without suspicion, believing the countess would fail. She couldn't know his question, and no human power could write on the inside of that slate without detection. He waited with sympathy for the woman who had overestimated her gifts. Then he was startled by the faintest sound of scratching, as of a pencil on a slate. It seemed to issue from beneath her hands at rest there in plain sight. The medium closed her eyes. Bean waited, his breath quickening. Little nervous crinklings began at the roots of his hair and descended into his spine. That scratching, faint, yet vigorous, did come from behind the veil? The scratching ceased. The ensuing silence was portentous. Open it and look, commanded the countess, and Bean forthwith opened it and looked a little way into his dead and dread past. Apparently upon the very surface he had washed clean were words that seemed to have been hurriedly inscribed. The last time you was Napoleon Bonaparte. He stared wonderingly at those marks made by no mortal hand. He thrilled with a vast elation, and yet instantly a suspicion formed that here was something to his discredit, something one wouldn't care to have known. He had read as little history as possible, yet there floated in his mind certain random phrases. A Corsican upstart. An assassin. No gentleman. I, I suppose, you're sure there can't be any doubt about this? He looked pleadingly at the countess, but the countess was a mere psychic instrument, it seemed, and had to be told first of the question. He produced it with a suspicion that she might doubt his honesty, and then of the astounding answer. Thus enlightened, she protested that there could be no doubt about the truth of the answer. She was ready to stake her professional reputation on its truth. She regarded Bean with an awe which she made no attempt to conceal. You had your day, she said significantly. Pomps and powers and, and attentions. Bean was excitedly piecing together what fragments of data his reading had left him. Emperor of France! 
but someone else had rung the third bell perhaps one of those scientists coming to be dumbfounded he was the countess replied hurriedly the husband of mary antoinette and they both got arrested and guillotined in the great french revolution he was pretty certain that this was incorrect but the countess after all was a mere instrument of higher intelligence and she now made no pretense of speaking otherwise than humanly and my controls say they'll leave me in a body if i take a cent less than three dollars one of the controls seemed to be looking this very threat or something like it from the medium's sharpened eyes being paid hastily thus averting what would have been a calamity to all earnest students of the occult the advertisement it is true had specifically mentioned one dollar as the accustomed honorarium but this was no time to haggle napoleon don't forget the number urged the countess and if you got any friends i'd appreciate certainly sure thing said the palpitating one and blindly felt his way into the night the same stars shone above the city street the same heedless throng disregarded them disregarded too the slight figure that paused a moment to survey the sky and the world beneath it through a new pair of eyes napoleon end of chapter three